Amen. If you're a believer, would you stand this morning and let's give God some praise in his house. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, would you come back up to this stage here? I think we've had cute church this morning. I don't think that we've uh, tapped into what he wants us to have today. It's more important. It's more important to me that you feel the presence of the Lord than, than you hear another message. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you ever experience God's presence, it will impact you in such a way you will not forget it. Amen. I'm not here to try to impress you. We want to bless you. And to bless you means the presence of the Lord touches you in such a way that we can't touch you. To all of our guests, we're, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. We mean that. But you've come to a Pentecostal church, and you probably knew what you were coming to when you came. So we're not here about ritual or routine. And if you need to go, you're dismissed now, and, and I just mean that. You are. You're welcome to go. But I didn't come in here trying to get out. I came in here to come into the presence of the Lord. Today we're going to baptize a couple of people. We're going to baptize little Cash. He's six years old. But we're going to baptize Cash. Isn't that great? And we're going to baptize Lynn. This is Carlton's wife. They're on the front row. And we're going to be baptizing Lynn. Amen. I don't know what you came here today needing, but I know I'm not your source. But I want to help connect you to the source. If your heart is hurting, he's the heart mender. If your health is failing, he's the great physician. If you're lonely, he will be your comfort. If you're in pain, he will speak peace to your body and to your mind. If you're being tormented, I want to tell you that God doesn't want you tormented. He doesn't want you tossing and turning all night. He wants His presence to be so real and so rich in your life that your anxiety and that your stress just dissipate in the presence of Almighty God. Can I get a witness here today? So I'm, I really don't want you to look at me. I don't want you to look at this stage right now. I just want you to look up. Look up. Because your redemption is drawing nigh. And as they sing, I'm just wondering if everybody in this house could just not focus on your neighbor, not focus on me or what's on this stage. But let's come and let's do what we were, what we were created for, and that is to worship. Can we sing this together? Would you sing with me? I want you to come out. Let's come up to this front. Let's worship. I come after you. Believers today, let's worship the Lord.
you're a believer, sing. Sing it unto the Lord. He loves to hear you. Come on, TPC, sing to the Lord. commandments. First, that you love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor. I think we've loved the Lord right here, don't you? I think so. Now what I want you to do is love your neighbor. You say, I don't want nobody touching me. Well, then don't touch them, but just say something nice to them. Say something kind to them say it's good to see him today I'm glad you're here with me thank you for being in God's house love you Lord come on somebody lift up some love to the Lord if you're a believer come on and lift up some love thank you Jesus for your presence in this room it makes all the difference I thank you for it God thank you to all the Hardwick family and all of you that are involved in this family thank you for being here and seeing this young man get baptized and cash we're excited about that just i want this church i want this church to be known as a place where your life can be changed i don't want to be known for cute church i want to be known as a church where if you go there 
They're not going to judge you. You're going to feel the love of God and your life can be changed through his word. Today, I want to just talk out of my heart. I will tell you right now, I'm probably going to go past 30 minutes. So if you need to go, I do understand, but I'm going to give you what is in my spirit. And I'm glad that you're here. If you have a lesson, I want you to get it if you would, and you can be seated. The Bible makes it very clear that there's nothing that matters more than relationships. The Bible makes it very clear that there is nothing more important than relationships. In fact, in the Scripture, it says, love your neighbor not once, not five times, but it says it nine times throughout Scripture, love your neighbor. If you say, Pastor, sum up the whole entire Bible in one word, here's the word, it would be relationships. God started in the book of Genesis wanting a relationship with us. And we're going to spend all of eternity in relationship with Him. It's all about relationships. In fact, relationships are more important than fame. They're more important than fortune. They're more important than possessions and popularity and prestige and status. Relationships are the most important thing in your life. In fact, the Bible says that if I am successful in every other area of my life, but relationships, then I am a failure. And you say, Pastor, that's pretty harsh. Well, just remember, I didn't say it. Let's go to the Word. Look in your lesson in Galatians 5 and verse 14. The entire law can be summed up in one single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says this. If I have not love, I am. Yeah, we'll try that again. It's a lot more fun when you all say it together. If I have not love, I am. Nothing. Nothing. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that if you made a billion dollars and you don't know how to love your wife, you and I are nothing. It means that if everyone in America and in half the world knew our name because we were so famous, but we didn't know how to love our wife or our kids 
or our family. It means we are nothing. It means if you became the president, the most powerful person in the entire world, and you don't know how to love those closest to you, you are nothing. This is what Paul said. I didn't say this. I'm not here to condemn us. I'm here to challenge us through the word of God. Paul said, if I could bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and even if I gave my body to be burned, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. We all want to think that we're great at loving people. I said, we all want to think that we're great at loving people. But many times we're not. Say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm good at loving others? Well, just ask them. And ask yourself, does anybody feel loved by me? Does anybody truly feel loved by me? And you know what? We don't ever ask that question. You know what question we ask? Does anybody love me? We don't ask, does anybody feel loved by me? We ask the question, does anybody love me? And you know what we're all trying to do? Every one of us, your pastor included. You know what we all strive to do? We all strive to get others to respect us, to value us, to love us, to pat us on the back. And here's what I'm trying to teach some young people. Here's a conversation that I've had with some young people, and that is the moment you step across that threshold in the South Foyer and in the North Foyer, forget about yourself. Go check yourself out in the restroom one last time before you walk in here. Make sure you're all good. And when you step into that threshold, forget about yourself and stop asking, does anybody love me? Who respects me? How cool do I look today? Forget yourself and start adding value to others. Start loving others. You say, I need love. Then whatever you need, give it away. I need a text. I need encouragement. Then give a text and give encouragement. You say, I don't have anything to give. Yes, you do. Dig way down deep. There's something in there called the Spirit of the living God. And it'll help you when you don't even feel like you have the help you need. See, God says this through His Word. Again, I'm challenging us. it's what is the measure of greatness is am I am I a loving person am I a loving person not do I receive it but do I give it are you with me see the Bible also teaches that relationships are very difficult why because hold your breath we're all sinners This whole world is broken. Why? Because of sin. So relationships are broken and hearts are broken and the weather is broken and life is broken. Why? Because of one word, S-I-N. And this is why relationships are so difficult because we came into this world born in sin and that means we're all selfish. It's more fun when we all say amen together. Quit, don't, please, don't pass this on to your neighbor. Oh, that's good for, that's good for sissy. That's what, I, I, I can see. Marshall saying, oh, that's good for sissy, boy. Boy, I'm glad sissy's here today. She needs this. 
And Sissy's like, whoo, thank God Marshall's here today. No, it's for all of us. Here's what Ecclesiastes 7 and 20 says. Do you see it? There's no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. What does that mean, pastor? It means that your pastor, that your pastor's wife, that anybody you respect in this house, it means we've all blown it. We've all messed up. Why? Because we were all born in sin. And that makes us selfish. Now, I think that we all want to have meaningful relationships. I think at the heart of all of us, we really do. But we try to understand each other. But most of the time, it just doesn't work out. Me and Janet have had many conflicts in the last three decades of marriage. We've had many conflicts. And we've hurt each other through the last 30 years. It's gotten so bad that we wondered if what we had was worth holding on to. Thankfully, we have made it, but it has only been by the help and grace of God. But can I tell you what is frustrating? What is very frustrating is that after 30 years, brothers and sisters, Janet and I still do not have it all figured out. And in fact, just three weeks ago, Janet and I did not see eye to eye. And guess what? If the Lord tarries, There's going to be another time that we're not going to see eye to eye. It's a lot more fun when you're all shaking your head yes, because y'all know it's the truth. Quit trying to look cute this morning and let's get honest, because we don't heal unless we get honest. We can't go forward looking cute. We only go forward getting honest. Are you with me? Let let me just ask this question. Does anybody here this morning, um, have you ever gotten to the point that you no longer have a conflict or an argument? Would you please, honestly, can you raise your hand? Because if you can, if you can raise your hand, please come up and preach the rest of this message. (laughs) Because me and Janet are telling you right now, we don't have it figured out. You say, Pastor... Do you have a good marriage? You better believe it. I got a great marriage. I got more than a good marriage. I got a great marriage. How did you get a great marriage? Working. A lot of work. Because here's what Janet and I learned. Marriage, you never coast. You're either drifting further from one another or you're coming closer to one another. But make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, the enemy hates relationships. He wants to bring division. Why? Because if your relationship stinks, life stinks. And if your relationships are good, life is good. Are you with me? And here's what really makes it bad. Because we have, most of us, we have this idea of what the perfect relationship looks like. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. James Dobson? Can I see your hand? Most of you have? All right, you're fixing to see a pic come up of Dr. James Dobson. Janet and I have a ton of respect for Dr. James Dobson. But I think a lot of people have this idealized image of the perfect family. And it kind of looks like this. Dr. James Dobson calls his wife and his family to come to the dinner table. 
And when he comes to the dinner table, he brings this big family Bible. And everybody's got their hair combed real nice and neat. And everybody's really smelling good and looking good. And they all sit down at this beautiful table. And they say grace. And then one of the politest children says, Father, I have a theological question for you. And Dr. Dobson looks and says, yes, son, what is it? Well, Father, I was witnessing to an atheist. And I have a theological question that I need answered. Of course, son. And he gets his Bible and he explains the scripture of what his little one needs to explain to this atheist. And then when they're done with this beautiful meal, they all stand and they hold hands and they kiss one another and they sing Kumbaya. Oh, and it even gets better than that. After a wonderful meal and kissy-kissy and huggy-huggy, then in the evening time, they all are tucked in by Dr. Dobson and his sweet wife, and they're given warm cookies and milk and prayed over. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that I don't know Dr. Dobson, but I know human nature, and I don't care who it is. That's not the ideal family because it doesn't exist. I'm going to say it again. It does not exist. Can I get a witness? Nobody lives that way. Why? Because nobody has the perfect family. The reality is, brothers and sisters, there are two natures inside of us. If we're born again, we've got the nature of Christ, but we still carry our old selfish nature. It's more fun when we say amen together. If you're a believer, you do have a new spirit in you, which is the spirit of Christ. But you still have a selfish nature in you. Here's Galatians 5 and 17. Here's what it says in your notes. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And your choices are never free from this conflict. So what, pastor, is the real problem in our relationships? It all boils down to this. Are you ready? The root of every problem is self-centeredness. It's more fun when we say amen together. The root of every problem is self-centeredness. Behind every conflict, behind every argument, behind all the strains on our relationships is self-centeredness. Look at the book of James in your notes, 4, 1 and 2. Do you know where your fights and where your arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. You want things, but you do not have them. So you argue and you fight. You say, Pastor, where does great relationship starts? It starts in you and it starts in me. It don't start in your wife. It doesn't start in your children. It starts in you. 
I'm not here to condemn us. I'm here to challenge us, TPC. It starts on the inside of me. Let me give you an example. So I'm studying for Sunday's message. And I have my Bible out and normally three or four books out. And I've got my computer open. And uh, Sister Janet comes in and says, Honey, can you help me with the groceries? And I want to say, can't you see that I've got this halo around my head? That I am studying for Sunday's message. And how dare you break my divine concentration to ask you to bring in the groceries. But being the mature, holy Christian that I am. I get up and I say, well, sure, honey, I will be happy to help you with all of the groceries. And I go out and I help her with the groceries and I put them exactly where she wants them. And I even go the extra mile. I take them out of the bag and I put them in the pantry where they belong. Whoa. And you know what? When I'm done, I go and sit down and I pat myself on the back like you are so awesome, Wayne. Yeah. And I, I'm like, oh, man, you're listening to your own preaching. Wayne, I'm so proud of you. Man, you're just being really unselfish. Just look, you laid it all down to help your sweet little wife. And we can't even be humble without being proud about it. Why? Every one of our lives is stained with self-centeredness. And it is not my nature to think of Janet first. It's not. No one, no one, no one in this room was staying up late worrying about my problems. Why? Because you were too worried about your own. Are you with me? You know, it's my nature to be self-centered. It's my nature to be selfish. And if you don't think that, you're kidding yourself. You think about you more than you think about anybody else. It's more fun when we say amen together. <laughs> you say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Because you're always asking, how do I look? When you walked in here today, you were, look, you were saying, how do I look? I got a new dress. I sure hope somebody notices. Am I accepted? Am I cool? Do people like me? You say, Pastor, that's not me. Okay, then take a picture. And if you know you're in the picture and then somebody shows you the picture, who's the first face you look at? Yeah, you've seen your ugly mug 10,000 times, but you're going to look at it again because it's a new picture. And you're like, I know I'm in this picture. How do I look? Y'all don't crawfish on me now. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. It don't matter how old you get. You're still looking at yourself. Why? Because you still have a selfish nature and you think about yourself more than you think about anybody else. Even people you are supposed to love, you still think about yourself first. And that's why we have the arguments that we have. Because the root of every problem is self-centeredness. 
And secretly, we think that we're pretty good if our outside and even our outside behavior conforms to certain standards. But listen, brothers and sisters, that is not enough. Because I'm here to prove through the scripture that God does more than just look at this. He is looking at this. God is looking at your heart. And here's what God told the Pharisees. He said, Pharisees, he said, the outside of you looks good, but the inside is a mess. You're a mess on the inside. I know you got your robe all looking good and it's pressed and it's clean and it's white. You got your tassels just where you need them. You got your little ringlets on the side of your head looking all fly. But I'm going to tell you something. On the inside, you are a mess. And it amazes me how much Pentecostals focus on the outside when God always focused on the inside. Because he said, out of your heart... I believe in modesty. Please do not misconstrue me. We all need to be modest because we love our brothers and our sisters. But God is focused on our hearts. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 18. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man or a woman unclean. It's not, brothers and sisters, again, please do not misconstrue me. It's not outward behavior that makes you unclean. It's the stuff that comes out of our hearts. The Bible says that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. What we need is a heart transplant. We need to get honest enough to say, God, I got lust in my heart, but I want love in my heart. God, I got anger in my heart, but I want the peace of God in my heart. God, I got some things in my heart, but God, I want a pure heart. Because the pure in heart shall see God. Come on, somebody, give God some praise in this house. See, the problem is more than your tongue. You may have a sarcastic tongue, but all that is doing is revealing what is in your heart. Please put this up on the screen. I want everybody to see it. A judgmental tongue is evidence of a guilty heart. It's amazing. When you see some of these televangelists, they start, they start highlighting other men of God. They better be careful because normally what they're doing is showing what's in their own life. I I won't even go there. But just go back a few years and you'll know what I'm talking about. A a guilty heart, brothers and sisters, is evidence by when you are judging others. A bitter tongue is evidence of a resentful heart. A biting tongue is evidence of an angry heart. Your mouth betrays what you're really like. It's just like a tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze it, you don't get carrot juice. Whatever is on the inside, when you squeeze it, is going to come out. And when you're squeezed by your job, and you're squeezed by your wife, and you're squeezed by your family, and you start rattling off some things, and then you come back and say, no, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry to tell you that was in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why I pray, God, give me a clean heart. God, give me a pure heart. God, help me because I know when I'm in the storm of life, whatever is in is going to come out. 
Have you ever noticed how quick your mood can change when somebody challenges your selfishness? What do you mean by that? When Janet, I'm studying and Janet says, baby, can you help me with the groceries? I'm like, oh. Can't you see I'm doing God's work? You know, I, I've, I've got up here many times and I've told y'all that my selfishness has almost blown up my marriage. And some of you are looking like, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Is when I live in such a selfish cocoon, then what I am forcing Janet to do is to live in one herself. Because what happens is, is when we are hurt by others through their bitterness, through their anger, through whatever, then after a while what we do is we start getting in this self-preservation mode. And we start covering up our hearts because we don't want to feel that again. Brothers and sisters, listen. If you're going to have a good marriage, you're going to have to learn how to forgive and forgive again and forgive again and forgive again and forgive again. How do I have a good marriage? It's called forgiveness. Why? Because here Here's the deal. If I have anger in my heart toward Janet, then it blocks our relationship between one another and it blocks my relationship between God. God tells me, first go make it right with your sister and then come to me and I will hear your prayer. Do you understand that if you've got odd against your brother or your sister, God doesn't even hear your prayer? Can I prove that? Yes, I can. He says, first, leave your gift at the altar and then go make it right with your brother and then come back and I will receive your gift and hear your prayer. It's all about loving God and loving people. And somebody says, hey, just drop what you're doing, please, and come and help me. It's amazing how our moods can change. Why? Because we're thinking of ourselves. Look at Galatians chapter 5, please, verse 19. In your lesson, it lists, lists 15 works of selfishness. Are you ready? The wrong things this sinful self does are clear. Being sexually unfaithful. Brothers and sisters, I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm here to challenge every one of us. When we do that, we are only thinking of ourselves. In other words, what we're saying is, I don't care what happens to anybody else. I'm only doing what pleases me. Here's the next one. Hating. Hating. Making trouble. Being jealous. Being angry. Being selfish. Making people angry with each other. Causing divisions among people. Feeling envy. Being drunk. And doing other things like these. These are expressions of self-centeredness. And self Centeredness is so destructive that it destroys homes, it destroys marriages, it destroys churches, it destroys communities. And we're seeing the decline of a great nation right now at this moment because we're so self-centered. It's my way or the highway. It's what I want, not what you want. It's Republican or it's Democrat. It's Libertarian or it's Independent. And God is saying you don't understand that community is 
is a place where you can be healed from your discouragements, from your fears, from your depression. And the enemy is doing everything he can, not only to divide our nation, but to divide our churches. Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Do we get a vaccine? Do we not get a vaccine? Do you vote this or you vote that? I'm here to tell you God is not for any of that. God is for unity in the body of Christ so we can be unified, love one another, and make heaven together. Here's what it says in Galatians 5 and 15 in your notes. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful or the selfish nature. Okay, sweet people, I'm not here to condemn us. I'm here to challenge us. If you have not woke up yet, would you please wake up? Because if you don't get anything else I say today, I want you to get this. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. The primary thing I want you to get, here's what it is. The primary thing of life is to learn how to be unselfish. Why? Because God was the most sacrificial, unselfish human being who has ever lived. And He wants you and I to follow after Him. Why? Because if we do, we can literally change our community. You know why all these people are building all these platforms that says, you know, you're, if you're a Democrat, you're, you're not of God. I'm going to tell you, that's foolishness. That's division. Vote how you want to vote. Just vote according to God's word. But a lot of this junk that's coming over pulpits breeds division. God doesn't want us to focus on the 3% we don't agree on. He wants us to focus on the 97 that we do. We believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe there's a literal hell and a literal heaven. And we all want to go to heaven together. Let's focus on that. Can I get a witness? And that's what God wants us to focus on is being unselfish and loving one another, being kind one toward another. And if I don't learn that lesson, we can learn all other kinds of lessons. But if we don't learn how to be unselfish, we have failed. Are you with me? You say, okay, pastor, I've tracked you up till now. Now what? Okay, here we go. How do I learn to be others? Centered instead of self-centered. Number one, we're going to go through these quickly. I have to face up to my sinful nature. I have to face up to my sinful nature. Every one of us in this room, I'm going to challenge you to pray this week. God, show me myself. It's more fun when we say amen together. God, this week, show me myself. Help me to become more self-aware because I'm not aware of it because everything you do is stained by selfishness. Number two, I have to face up to my disappointments in life. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with unselfishness? I'm glad you asked. 
Some of you are profoundly disappointed in your husband or your wife and you haven't even faced that yet. Some of you are profoundly disappointed in a child. He or she did not turn out the way you thought. They're not perfect. They're not as smart as you, gifted as you. They're not the president of the beta club. He is not the, the, he's not the uh, captain of the football team. And all that does is say, give me glory because I'm the parent of this special child. I'm going to say that again. Some of you are disappointed because your children have not lived up to your expectations. And I'm going to just tell you with all the sweetness in my spirit, that is self-centeredness. Because you thinking you're better than God because God had two adult children. Adam didn't even have the opportunity to lust at another woman because there wasn't another one there. Two perfect kids in a perfect environment with a perfect God in a perfect garden with absolutely nothing wrong and they made a bad choice. And you're trying as a parent to say, oh, look at my kids. Aren't they so special? But what you're really doing is, I'm special. And now, because you've got some disappointments, then what you're doing is, it is an excuse to justify our own selfishness. And until we deal with our disappointments, we're not going to deal with our selfishness. Some of you are saying this, I have a right to do this because they hurt me and the world owes me. And I have a right to rob this building because I was born into a depressed economic circumstance. And I'm here to tell you, no, you don't. With all the love in my spirit, there is no excuse for selfishness. It's never justified. Pastor, you just don't know my pain. You don't know what I know. No, ma'am. No, sir. I don't know your pain. And I just want to calm down here and tell you with all the sincerity in my heart, Janet and I are truly sorry for your pain. Because we know what deep pain feels like. And we are very sorry. But as long as you are taking your pain to justify your selfishness, you are going against God's Word. And you are hurting yourself in your relationships because you're more concerned about being right. And what that happens is that breeds revenge. And revenge and bitterness will eat you on the inside like a cancer. How do I think God got up on the third day? Is because He lived the crucified life. That after He had been rejected by His disciples, not believed on by His own brethren, the Pharisees rejected Him. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But here is what got Him up on the third day, in my opinion. Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they do. Forgiveness, brothers and sisters, doesn't release them necessarily. It releases you to move on with your life instead of walking in a vicious cycle called bitterness and resentment and pain and justifying your own self. Can I get a witness? 
Go to number three. Focus more on the hope of heaven. You say the hope of heaven. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Selfishness is always rooted in the here and now. When I think that all that matters is here and now and never think about eternity, then I'm more self-centered. If I, brothers and sisters, do not realize that there is more than the here and now, I'm going to be as selfish as I can be. Y'all please stay with me because if there's no heaven and there's no hell, there's no consequence, I might as well do whatever I want. Shoot up, shack up, snort up, whatever whatever floats your boat. I might as well do all of it because if there's no heaven and there's no hell, then hey, let us all eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. And if we live in the here and now, then we're very concerned about us getting the pat on the back and us getting the credit and us getting the ribbon and us getting the trophy and somebody calling my name from the pulpit because we're all thinking it's all about the here and now. But if we ever get a revelation that heaven is a real place and one day I'm going to stand before him and he's going to be the one that's going to hand out the crowns and the ribbons and the pat on the back and the award then I don't have to get it all here and now. That makes sense. Sweet people, I love you. You know that I do. But to all of our sweet people here today, we got to wake up. I said we got to wake up. There's more to life than just the here and now. There's more to life than just what I drove up in here and where I'm go home, what I'm going to live in and what I'm going to wear. Thank God for his blessings. Listen, y'all know me by now. Drive the best, live in the best, wear the best, eat the best. I'm all for that. But at the same time, don't let that be what gives you value because that's how the world lives. I might as well get it now because this is all there is. No, there is not, brothers and sisters. I believe that there is a real place called heaven. And all of the pay pay counts don't come on October the 15th. God has got some rewards that you'll get over there that you're not going to get right here. God's got some things he's going to tell you over there that he's not going to tell you right here. Right now, you just endure hardness as a good soldier but the day is going to come I don't have to be Mr. Popular right now and I don't have to have all the power right now because if I think it's all about right now I'm going to live as a very selfish little clod of dirt thinking it's all about me the strongest antidote to self-centered living is to live in light of eternity. It's all not coming my way right now. But one day, he's going to say, well done. Good and faithful. Here's number four. Focus more on God's grace to me. See, there is no way that you can be unselfish in your own power. This is why I keep saying, and I will keep saying until Jesus comes, you need to be born again. 
Not because I said it, but because you cannot live this with just willpower. You must have God's power. Just as a toaster cannot function without being plugged in, you cannot fulfill your purpose without being plugged into God's power. This Bible right here is too high of a standard for any of us to live. Listen, it's much easier for me to wear long sleeves than it is to get my heart right. It's much easier for me to comb my hair in a certain direction than it is to get bitterness and hate and gossip out of my spirit. It's much easier for me to tell you how to live than it is to lead myself. Who's the hardest person in here to lead? It ain't you, it's me. And here's what Paz said. He said, Wayne... Be careful, son, lest you preach to others and you end up a castaway. I have to make sure, brothers and sisters, that me and Janet are leading ourselves every day and fighting against selfishness every day. Because if not, I'm going to come in here wondering, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? Instead of, how can I add value to you? How can I serve you? See, we're living in an inverted kingdom. In our kingdom, it says self. In God's kingdom, it says serve. Here's the last point, and we'll go. Focus or follow the Spirit's leading. Follow the Spirit's leading. See, my inclination is so ingrained to think of myself that it takes supernatural power to break its grip. This is why we all need the Spirit. Why do we need the Spirit, Pastor? Because the Spirit is what bears the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm going to ask you this question as we wrap this up today. What do you want your life to represent? I want you to get this. I want you, please, to ask yourself this question. What do I want my life to represent? Do I want it to represent the fruit of the Spirit? Or do I want it to represent the work of selfishness? Because if you want your life to represent the fruit of the Spirit, then you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit. Because inside of you is selfishness personified. Can y'all stay with me just a couple more minutes? Y'all, I don't, I don't mean to put anybody on blast, but I'm going to do it, though I don't mean to do it. But here's what I've learned. People don't like to change. We don't like to change. We don't want anybody telling us to change. So I don't come up here preaching to try to get you to change. I just want to be an inspiration that hopefully there's something in me that you see that a little bit reflects like Christ. You know how I have learned Am learning to be unselfish because of Janet. Y'all, I don't mean to put Janet on blast. I don't. 
But nobody's helped me more than Jesus and Janet. Nobody. I have not met a more unselfish person than Janet Nealon. Y'all, I'm not making any of this up and I'm not trying to make it hard on you wives or your husbands. I'm just telling you the truth. That sweet girl right there puts out my undergarments. She puts out a Q-tip for me. She puts out my towel, my wash rag. And she did it for the longest time and I never did it. But because she has inspired me Now guess what? When I can remember, I try to do the same thing for her. And now I'm trying to remember that after 30 years, I still want to open her door up. Because my daddy told me, Wayne, what it took to get her, it takes to keep her. But I didn't always do that. Why? Because I had so much anger toward her that it hurt our relationship. And I had to once again, take that angry heart to the cross and say, God, give me a forgiving heart so that I can love Janet like Christ loved this church. I'm not trying to put on anybody on blast, but you know what? You know who somebody else has inspired me and that's Cindy Dowers. Cindy fixes meals and she does things for people and she's going to be so mad at me for even mentioning her name. But she does things. Her and Bill do things and nobody ever notices. Nobody ever recognizes them. And we don't get up here and rah-rah. But they have inspired me to change. And they don't even know it. I've never even told them. Sister June inspires me to draw closer to the Lord. Because I see her as the Spirit of the Lord comes upon her and she shakes and she shimmies. And it's not a show. And I'm saying, God... I want to be like that. When I get in my 70s and my 80s, I don't want to be critical. I don't want to be judgmental and condemning and all. In my 80s, I want to be loving, giving, serving more like Christ. I'm asking you the question, all of you sweet, precious people. What do you want your life to look like? Do you want it to look like the fruit of the Spirit? And to inspire others? Are you just going to focus on yourself? And say, give to me. Serve me. Love me. Do I look pretty? Do I look handsome? What can you do for me, TPC? What have you done for me lately, TPC? Or... How can I serve? How can I make a difference? Would you bow your head? Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I'm not here to change no one. I can't do that. I'm not here to save anyone. I'm not their savior. Lord, I I didn't come here today to condemn no one. I've come here to challenge all of us. Getting our sleeves where we want them is a lot more difficult than getting our heart where it needs to be. 
the problem of the heart is the heart's the problem. So help us today to bring our angry heart, our bitter heart, our resentful heart, our selfish heart. Help us to bring it to You, God. And say, God, would You give us a heart transplant? Because only You can do it. In Jesus' mighty name. Would you stand with me, please? How many feel the presence of the Lord in this room right now? If you're a believer, would you just slip up your hand and ask God to touch us? God, we need you today. If we're all getting honest here, all of us from the platform to the pew, if we're all getting honest, we need a heart transplant, God. We've got some walls up against our spouse. We've got some walls up against our family. We want to make them pay for the hurt because they hurt us. Lord, it's not that we don't need boundaries in our life, but we also need forgiveness in our life. We need a healing in our life. To all of you sweet people, if you got to go, I understand. Thank you. I do. But if you don't, Sister Kaylee's going to sing this little chorus. And I'm just asking for a minute, just a minute of your time, if you'll just come up as she sings and just say, God, I, I know the root of the problem is self-centeredness. And I'm not putting this off on my spouse, my friends, or my family. I'm going to take this for me. And I'm going to grow. And I'm going to change. Anybody want to come? Anybody want to step out?
receive the word of the Lord today? To all of Cash's family, why don't you guys come on over here? And to all the family and friends of Lynn's and Carlton's, y'all come over too. Carlton. Carlton, come on. Cash is ready. If you're waiting on him, you're backing up. This young man's been talking about baptism. He's like, is it Sunday yet? Mama's like, no. Well, what day is it? Saturday. Oh, good. I only got one more day. Isn't that wonderful? All right, Cash. Here you go. Brother Carlton's going to help you in. Yep, there you go, my man. So Brittany came to me and she said, Pastor, Cash is six. Is he too little? And I said, Brittany, I'm going to tell you something. I was six when I was baptized by O.R. Falls on Irving Drive. And I remember it like it was yesterday. For some, it may be for Cash, it's not. He's excited and he's ready to be baptized. And this young man is never going to forget this day for the rest of his life. Cash, son, I don't know what the Lord has planned for you because he hadn't told me, but I know this, it's good. And it's going to be amazing. And for you wanting to be baptized at six, says God is doing something in your heart. And we honor that and we receive that. Now, Cash, do what I talked about in the office. Take your little hand and hold your nose. Take your other hand. Cash, on the confession of your faith, son, and the obedience to God's command, we now baptize you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the remission of all your sins. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody, pray a prayer blessing over Cash right now. We bless you, Cash, in the name of the Lord, that you may walk out God's purposes, that you may always love God and love His house and love your family and love His Word. And God, may His heart always be pure, that it would never want the things of the world, that it would always want the things of God. Lord, we thank You for His family. We thank You for His grandparents, His aunts, His uncles. All of his family members that were so kind to come today, we thank you. And God, we just are looking forward to what you have in store for Cash. And I love his name. Isn't that awesome, everybody? Give Cash a big hand. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Give Cash a big hand. That's one of Janet's Sunday school boys. And oh, she loves those kids. We love you, son. We love you, Cash. Thank you, family, for being here. Lynn, are you here, Lynn? Lynn, this is, this is Carlton's wife. And Lynn is a quiet one. She doesn't want any fuss made of her. So we're going to do our best. This is... You know, a lot of people are private, and Lynn's one of those private people. This is a big step for her because Carlton really wanted her to be baptized in front of you. Yeah. 
if she would have had her way as a private person, we would have come in here and done it with nobody here. But Carlton almost got down on his knees and begged her. And she relented because she could tell it was what he really wanted. And little did we know, Carlton, that when I asked you to start helping me baptize folks, that you was going to have the privilege of baptizing your own wife. And y'all... There was a couple of times if Lynn wouldn't have told him to calm down, I'd have had to go sit in the corner, Carlton, and hang on. It's going to be okay because he's so excited. He ran up to me Wednesday night just crying and excited with his hands in the air. And he said, Pastor, my wife has given herself to the Lord and I'm going to baptize her. You may get real excited about the saints scoring a touchdown. I get real excited about lives being changed. Come on, somebody. This is worth getting excited about. Y'all got to check this out. We made this a matter of prayer. Lynn is a counselor, has a master's degree in education. And guess what just happened? Brother Scott Poussin just became the principal of our elementary, middle, pardon, of our middle school. And then he hired Sister Sanders as the assistant principal. I hope this is all public knowledge. I didn't think about that till right now. Okay. And then they just hired Lynn as their counselor. Is that not exciting? The middle school's gonna be rocking for Jesus. Come on, somebody. That is awesome. I love that. Love that. So if your kid's going into middle school, man, they're gonna have Jesus all over them. You hear me? All the way from Brother Poussin to Lynn and in between Sister Sanders. This is a trio that's gonna be amazing for Christ. Not that they can, you know, they got to stay within their boundaries. But guess what? Every child in there is going to feel their love and see their light. It just radiates through all of them. Lynn, we're so proud of you. If you would, sweetie, step up close to the front. Lynn, take your hand, hold your nose. Lynn, on the confession of your faith and the obedience to God's command, we now baptize you in Jesus' name for the remission of all your sins.
Thank you. 